Welcome to the October 15th, 2018 edition of Take 4. In this episode, I speak to some of the everyday leaders in Ross. These Ross staff members are moving the, in theory, of the district strategic plan to in-action implementation. Through their actions, they have positively impacted students in teaching and learning, social and emotional well-being, or community engagement. From project-based learning to positive behavior supports, listen to how these Ross Rams are discovering, aspiring, and relating every day. Little by little, a little becomes a lot. Tanzanian Proverbs. Hello, Ross Rams. Becky Tompkins, and I am sitting with Sarah Kiefer today. How are you, Sarah? Good. How are you, Becky? I'm fantastic. It is the end of first quarter. Can you believe it? I, I cannot. Uh, nine weeks goes entirely too fast. It really does. When the school year's starting, it seems like first quarter is going to last forever, and it never does. It always wraps up. Sure does, very quickly. Yes, it does. Well, um, so this is a very special episode of, of Take 4. Um, do you remember the first, very first Take 4 of the year? It was the slideshow presentation about everyday leadership. Yes, it was a fantastic fantastic slideshow that you did. Loved it. Um, one thing that I remember about it, you had tucked in a little TED Talk. Mm-hmm. Um, watched that, and quite honestly, like, I sat there for a little bit, and I just, I reflected. Like, what does this really mean to me? Like, what am I doing about this? Am I, am I walking the walk? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and then that really was that purpose of the very first TED Talk, and, and it was that idea of um, our, our small actions every day have big impact. And really, that is the focus of this particular Take 4. So in this episode, I am speaking to some of the everyday leaders in Ross. These are Ross Rams who have tried something new or um, put a spin or twist on it over this first quarter. Through their actions, they have impacted students and staff and the community in our critical areas of focus of teaching and learning, social and emotional well-being, or community engagement. Their actions are examples of agents of change to develop positive culture. What do you think? Oh, that's awesome, Bucky. I can't wait to hear. I know. I'm really excited, too. So you'll be hearing from um, Alyssa Brock from Ross Middle School. You will be hearing from Emily Hamblin from the high school, from Katie Williams and Veronica Elliott from Morgan, from Dave Williams at Elba, and from Lisa Jeffrey and Jason Rettinger at Ross Middle School. Oh, I can't wait. I know. It's going to be good, good stuff. Wow, Becky, those sound like some pretty awesome interviews. I can't wait to hear more. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, The interviews that you've done, I noticed that you always end it with a question. Um, Why? Why do you always ask, what's next? Mm, That's great. Yeah, so every interview ends with this question of what's next. And I really love that question because it implies two things. First, that, you know, if you ask it in a what's next kind of way, that that implies that there's some excitement about what's currently going on, that that present situation is something that's so exciting that there's anticipation that there's going to be more. 
And that question also acknowledges some aspiration, that there's always room to grow, that even if something is going extraordinarily well, there's always ways to make that better and to go to that next step to improve and to learn. You ready for the first interview? I'm ready. Let's hear it. Let's do it. Hi, I am here in Alyssa Brooks' 7th and 8th grade social studies classroom, and as I look around the classroom, I notice on the screen that there is um, a board, and it sure looks like there is some gamification going on around the 13 colonies. Is that accurate? That is correct. That is exactly what it is. Ah, well, hmm, so... Looks like you're doing some gamification. Would you mind sharing with us about gamification in your classroom and why you decided to do it? Sure. Uh, gamification is taking those natural competitive instincts that we have that are very evident in competitions and games, athletics, and it is applying those same principles to the learning environment so that you're really just tapping into a natural competitive edge that's an internal struggle with yourself when it comes to learning. And I heard about gamification about a year ago when I went to a social studies conference. I experienced it when we did our book study and then really intrigued by it. I wanted to, I wanted to pull it in and and see if I could enhance my learning to increase student engagement, which I've been working on for the last couple of years. Wow. So it sounds like you're literally taking the elements of gaming and putting them within the classroom. Exactly. And in many ways, it's not even changing what we do as teachers. We do a lot of different learning activities. It's some ways, it's just saying you need to do this in order to level up or Instead of saying this assignment is worth 50 points, it's worth 50 XP, which kids don't care about points, but man, they live in a, in a Fortnite world where XP is incredibly important and it's just changing uh, the vocabulary or the way you structure a unit so that, so that you bring out that competitive edge. Wow. I, I, I love what you said that um, a lot of times it's just changing the vocabulary or, or how we as teachers um, share out how we want students to en engage with, with learning. Yeah, That's really cool. exactly. That's exactly. awesome. Okay, so could you like give us an example? How does gamification work in your classroom? And maybe a specific example. Yeah, so what I decided is I wanted to do this with my 13 colonies, which I had had them doing posters before and felt like kids weren't really getting engaged. But the challenge for gamification with me is that I still need to meet all my learning objectives that I would have in any other unit. So I didn't want it to be completely free and open. I wanted to give them a, here's what you're going to need to do to make sure that we are meeting our learning objectives, but then build in that game, that gaming element. So Using Schoology, I created different levels of folders. Level one are your basic requirements. They had to investigate each one of the 13 colonies and create a flipbook page for it. Once they showed that to me, that would earn them a badge. And each badge was worth 5 XP at that point. Then to get beyond that, they had to do a level two challenge 
And this was, it was just a quiz which I give quizzes all the time, but this was a challenge quiz and it was worth a badge and it was worth 10 XP. So they had to earn, they had to work for that. And this way I ensured that every one of my kids was meeting their learning objectives. But then again in Schoology, I had different, different level folders and this, I told them, is really where the game started because level three was worth 15 XP, level four, 20, level five, 25, so on and so forth. And the level three activities were easier, the level six harder, and they had to strategize. Which ones were they going to do at that point? Did they want to go for level six? And I tried to make a big deal about it. Like, oh, you're going up for a level sixer. This one's worth 30 points. Whoa. <laughs> or were they going to do a lot of level threes and steady Eddie? We're just going to keep going and build up. So it was really interesting to see what their strategies were. The other exciting part for me was that some of the activities that I put in I was hoping would tap into either an artistic side, like create a comic strip, or a technological side, like create a virtual tour. And I gave them virtually no instruction of, here's what you need to do. You go off and produce it. It's worth 30 XP. Knock my socks off. And did they ever. They would come to me and I would just be blown away with what they had produced. And I would like... Of course you're going to earn that badge. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Well, and, and how did the students react to gamification? This was my most exciting part because with different units that you do, I always worry about am I, am I pulling in the low-level learners? Am I getting my average learners? Am I getting my gifted kids involved? And this activity just seemed to tap into every single level. I saw my gifted kids create virtual tours that were amazing. I saw my low-level kids, and this was one of my most exciting points, one of my low-level kids, mm-hmm. she struggles with turning in homework. She struggles with comprehension. She won the game for wow. her class, period. Wow. At certain points, I would have to. I would. I would always have the leaderboard up uh-huh. as as my class periods were going on, and sometimes I would have to freeze the screen to look up a code or something like that. Right. They were dancing in front of the screen. <laughs> Mrs. Brock, unfreeze, unfreeze. We just put in some codes. One day I asked them, "How are you guys doing?" And and she looked over and she goes, "I need the codes." <laughs> so. To see their level of excitement, to see how um, they were reacting. Mm -hmm. I had one girl, I had that same group ask me, so can we work on this at home and bring this stuff in? Well, all right. I mean, if you want to keep learning (laughs) at night and doing work, well, I guess so. Oh, that's fantastic. I had kids ask me, can we extend this? Can we keep this going? I'm like, well, we'll see how it's going to go. But, I mean, if you guys keep wanting to learn, (laughs) I I mean, I guess. (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) So that was, their reaction was just so much fun and so gratifying as a teacher. Yes, I bet. 
But what's next for gamification in your classroom, Alyssa? So I am really excited. I loved how it went, but gamification did require a lot of trust um, because I had not done this before myself. There were some uh, technical aspects. And so I wanted to pick a, a group of kids that I felt comfortable with. So I picked my eighth graders. I have already had them for a year. I And I just was up front with them. Guys, I'm learning with you. I am going to be trying to figure out these codes and how to make sure everything is displaying for you. Um, and so I picked my eighth grade unit. Uh, it did require a lot of upfront work. Mm-hmm. And, and I think part of that's on me because I wanted the badges to perfectly align uh, with every single colony. Um, there are other, there are ways to make it easier. Um, and now that I've done it once, I think it'll go quicker in the future. But my goal for this year was to do one seventh grade unit, which I started off with, and one, or I'm sorry, one eighth grade unit, and then one seventh grade unit. Um, and so this summer, I worked on my eighth grade unit. Mm-hmm. Over Christmas, I have earmarked that I'm going to work on one for my seventh graders. And my eighth graders were begging me, <laughs> of, you should be doing this all the time. So I said, if I can get to another one over spring break, I'll do that. But I know that next year, I already have ideas percolating for, for this unit. Um, this unit goes is dealt with Chapter 3 and on the 13 colonies, which Chapter 4 picks up with life in the colonies. So for me, that's a natural progression to build on, that I've got the gamification in place for chapter three. I do like having a reset point for anybody who might be lagging behind. Mm -hmm. Um, And then stop it, restart with chapter four, and kind of keep that game going, keep that momentum going. So for me, it's building on what do I already have in place? And can I just keep it going next year? Wow. Well, that sounds pretty incredible. What a, an, an outstanding way for students to engage with content and um, for you, know, you to learn side-by-side with students as you go through this process. Absolutely. And I, they were great. They were so patient with me. And you know, I, said, I would say to them, you know, I might have to call somebody to help me out. <laughs> and, but that was learning. That was my learning. And I... I That's important for them to see that we're learning, too. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Alyssa. I very much appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. An interesting footnote to that interview with Alyssa. During the interview, I was trying out an external mic to record. It was the first time I had used the mic, and it didn't go really well. On the first try, we got halfway through the interview, and I noticed the mic wasn't on, so we started over. The second time, we made it all the way through the interview, but the mic had been sent to echo mode, and every single word of that interview was like we were recording in a cave. So we tried one more time, and that's the interview you just heard. Afterwards, I thanked Alyssa for her patience and her willingness to work with me to figure out this new piece of equipment. Alyssa was very gracious and shared that on her very first day of gamification, the leaderboard wasn't working in the way that she hoped. 
She said she was frustrated and her first inclination was to say, forget it. She had put in all of this work and it wasn't going the way that she had hoped, so scrap it. I said, but you persevered. Alyssa said, yes, because I knew my students were with me in this and their support is what made the difference and helped me to carry on. What a classroom community where everyone in that class, teachers and students were learners and everyone in that class knew that their role was to support one another throughout that learning process. The real act of discovery consists not in finding new lands, but in seeing it with new eyes. Marcel Proust. I'm here in Veronica Elliott's classroom at Morgan Elementary, um, looking around at lots of books and posters. What a great place to be a fourth grader, Veronica. Thanks for hosting. Um, I'm also with Katie Williams, and we're going to be talking PBL today. So a few weeks ago, Katie, you and Veronica, and several other Ross teachers spent three days at a workshop <laughs> learning about project-based learning. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about PBL? Yeah, um, so kind of a condensed version of the long definition of what um, PBL is, is it's teaching curriculum through a project instead of teaching curriculum to do a project. Mm. So it's allowing the students to explore by creating a product through the content instead of teaching all the content and then expecting them to do a project that has no significant meaning to what you're teaching. Interesting. Wow. And I know one of the activities, um, the, the thinking exercises that you went through at the end of that workshop was, I used to think and now I think in relationship to PBL. And you, I happened to be there for that part of the workshop and it was really interesting to see. So I was just curious if you'd be willing to share your, I used to think but now I think about PBL. Um, Veronica, would you mind sharing yours? Sure, absolutely. So um, in regards to PBL, I used to think PBL was just another sort of instructional strategy, just a different way of presenting content. Um, but now I know um, that PBL teaches the content while developing 21st century skills. So it's much more than just um, learning the information. It's actually developing students uh, with skills that they can carry on throughout their life and it helps to build their character um, so just very useful tools for them. Very cool. Yeah, so it, PBL then is, is not just about the, the content. It's also those, those skills, those interpersonal skills, the collaboration skills that are lifelong skills as well. Yes. Thank you, Veronica. Katie, what about yours? Um, my, I used to think, was I used to think PBL was a free-for-all and replaced typical instruction. Um, and now I know that PBL is an awesome tool that I could add to my tool belt to enhance and add meaning to my instruction. Very nice. You know, I, I, I noticed um, that in my language, when I asked you, it was I used to think, but and now I think. But the activity really was I used to think, but now I know. Yes. Uh, and I like that distinction because we go into things with some preconceived notions, and only when we really start digging deep and learning about them do we decide or figure out whether those preconceived notions are correct or not correct. So that I used to think, and now <laughs> I know, that that's a really cool structure. Um, okay, so... Veronica, could you talk to us a little bit about something from the workshop that you really found to be meaningful or stuck with you about PBL? Um, so something that I found really important about PBL is 
um, when incorporated to its uh, maximum potential, it really sparks students' interest and it gives them a voice and ownership over their learning, um, which is really exciting for the kiddos. Um, they, they really get excited about driving their own um, activities and having, like I said, a voice and a choice and what they get to do. And oftentimes the end result is it's much more effective and it's valuable to them. And they can say, look what I've done, and, and now here's what I know. Um, and so these, this PBL experience for myself as I move forward, um, the importance is that they're relatable experiences that encourage collaboration and spark interest. Sounds yeah. pretty <laughs> darn amazing. That sounds terrific. Um, so, Katie, let me ask you this. Why do you think PBL, project-based learning, is important? And, and maybe the question is, do you think it's important in a classroom structure? I, I do think it's important. I didn't know going into the training how I felt about that, but I definitely think it is. Um, one of the big things that it plays on is the involvement of community. And we say all the time, oh, we want to pull in the community, we want to pull in the community. But this is pulling in the community in a new way. Um, and it's creating a product that's for the community, something that's going to help the community solve a problem in the community and really just encourages that relationship, not only between the teachers and the school in the community, but between the students in the community. And they take a little bit of pride in building up their community as well. Hmm. So I think that was a huge part that I was not expecting at all. Wow, that community engagement piece yeah. and rethinking what we, we mean when we talk about community engagement and giving students that ownership of they can have impact even in fourth grade yeah. on their community. How cool is that? Absolutely. That's amazing. All right, well, I have one more question for you. What's next with PBL <laughs> in your classrooms? Well, um, for us, we are currently working on kind of fine-tuning our first project. Um, we're looking at a kickoff in November at some point. Um, to kind of start this project and a big part is just teaching the kids how to work together and collaborate and um, we'll spend a few days just developing those skills with the students and learning how to work together and um, build up that project and get ready to start our first PBL. What's exciting about our first PBL, um, add to what Katie said, is that they're going to be exploring a real-world problem that is impacting our students across the Ross community. So we're really excited that these kiddos are going to, they should hopefully find value in it because everybody's affected um, by this problem that they're going to help solve and improve. So Okay, you've piqued my interest. What <laughs> is the problem that, that fourth grade students at Morgan are going to investigate and attempt to solve? So the students will be investigating some of the traffic issues that, <laughs> that we have in the Ross community, um, and they're going to be looking at it from the perspective of several different community members. So it could be a firefighter, it could be a police officer, um, somebody that just commutes through Ross, somebody that is um, a stay-at-home parent, or um, potentially even like business owners and um, kind of pull in some different places from the community to investigate their traffic issues. Hmm. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait to hear what, what your students f develop yeah. them as, a, as a result of that. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I'm very excited to see how project-based learning is going to work in your classroom. It's going to be fantastic. Thank, thank you. you so much, yeah, Veronica. Thank you, too. Katie. Thank you. Yeah, 
After the three-day workshop that Katie, Veronica, and the other Ross teachers attended, I had a chance to talk to Jill Simpson. Jill was the lead facilitator for the three-day workshop. Jill is also a lead facilitator for PBL Ohio, which is the Buck Institute's project-based learning. Buck Institute is literally the gold standard of project-based learning. I had a chance to ask Jill about her thoughts on project-based learning. Hi, this is Becky Tompkins here, and I am with Jill Simpson, um, who has just finished up a workshop at Butler County Educational Services Center about project-based learning. Um, hi, Jill. How are you? Hi. I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Um, we had a group of, of six teachers and our technology support people who came to the workshop, and they're really, really excited. So I wondered if I could ask you three questions about PBL. Is that all right? Shoot. Okay. So my first question is this. As, educate, as educators, we have, we know lots, or we've read lots of definitions about project-based learning, but I know you've done many, many PBLs within the classroom, mm -hmm. um, and of course facilitated the training. So for you, what is PBL? I think the best definition I can think of is that project-based learning is intentional design of a learning experience for kids that is authentic, real-world, and it is content-driven. Um, it, it's engaging and it has um, meaning for the kids. It's, it's different than just doing a project. Doing a project is usually done after the learning mm -hmm. takes place. The, the biggest difference I've found is that project-based learning is the learning. It is the content. It is the lesson. That's great. Um, can you talk a little bit about misconceptions? Because like the, it seems like there's some misconceptions around PBL. What's one of the most common misconceptions that um, you feel you'd like to set the record straight about? Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to have this opportunity because one of the biggest misconceptions is that it is in addition to the curriculum, that a project is an add-on to the quote-unquote real learning. That could not be further from the truth. A well-designed project, a project that is truly high quality, engages the students, but it is absolutely 100% content driven. So the standards are brought to the table, and the kids learn the standards through the project. So teachers are still responsible for assessing mastery. Um, students are still responsible for learning the standards, and most people dismiss it as a fluff or an add-on, and it couldn't be further from the truth. It is intentional design to deliver curriculum through an engaged process. Um, and then I've got one more question for you, and that question is this. So for teachers who are just starting with PBL, what's one piece of advice that you would have, or words of wisdom that you would have for those teachers? I think take risks. Because for a lot of teachers, and I started the process pretty late in my career. I, w I taught for 26 years before I started doing project-based learning. And I did a lot of projects. Prior to that, I did some really great bad projects because they weren't designed as high-quality project-based learning. I didn't know enough. So I would, I would ask the teachers to um, persevere, stick with it, um, op be open to making mistakes and modeling that process for the kids. You earn a lot of credibility with your students when you see something isn't working and you acknowledge that. It gives them the opportunity to persevere through, through mistakes or, or bumps in the road. So I think perseverance, and, and perhaps if I can add another one, is to stay current. You know, you can do PD on your phone. Get a, a Twitter hashtag PBL. PBL Ohio is a great place to, to follow. Um, and keep current. 
and it's it's a great ride. I, I, I loved every minute of it. That's great, Jill. Thank you so much. I know our teachers love their time that we spent that they spent with you, and we're really excited about uh, PVL. So thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Your your students are in great hands. You've got some smart, dedicated, fun teachers involved. So thank you. Indeed, we do. So Jill Simpson from PBL Ohio, Becky Tompkins. Thanks so much, Rams. I'll talk to you soon. I am with Emily Hamblin this afternoon, and um, I'd like to talk to you or ask you a couple questions about instructional coaching. So I understand that you and several other Ross High School teachers and Emily Doblinger are participating in an Instructional Coaching Institute. Could you tell me a little bit about instructional coaching? Sure. So we don't know a whole lot yet about how this is going to work in our in our district or in our school, but um, essentially instructional coaching is a way for teachers to meet up with each other and to talk about um, teaching strategies that are working, um, if we have questions or they need any peer mentoring, or if we want to bounce ideas off of each other, um, help planning. Uh, but it's just an opportunity for teachers to kind of get together and talk to each other without judgment about things that are going on uh, in their classroom. Wow, that's awesome. Well, so the interesting part, I think, is that Ross High School doesn't have an instructional coach. Right. Um, so, but why do you think instructional coaching could be beneficial for the teachers participating, even if there's no set instructional coach within a building? Yeah, I mean, we're all growing as educators. We're all in the same learning community. We're all trying to make plans to grow and get better, and I think this kind of opens up the opportunity for discussion among teachers, um, just kind of together as a group about where we want to go, where we are, what kinds of things we can do to get to where we want to go, just to kind of make a plan for the future. And so that leads me to my this last question, which is this. So what's next with instructional coaching? Now, I know that's kind of um, a, a difficult question at this point. You've been to two or three professional yeah. developments at mm -hmm. this point, and there's still a couple throughout the year. So yes. you're still in that initial learning uh, stages. But if, if you were to think about what you know right now with instructional coaching um, and, and how it could work, um, you know, the rest of this year or beyond, what would you like to see as far as the what's next with instructional coaching? Well, I can see it as a, as a pretty good opportunity to kind of build leadership amongst teachers. So it lets you sort of work together with people who are doing the same things you are or even different things that you are and, and grow professionally. So um, we can talk about maybe I saw some awesome things happening in a classroom that other people haven't been able to see because they've been so busy teaching, so busy doing you know, other things, and they want to try something new in their classrooms. Or maybe something's not working, and they've tried everything they know to get it working. So I think some of us, we can have the opportunity to meet and talk about things that we've seen in other classrooms, just because some of us who have gone through the instructional coaching are hopefully going to have the opportunity to go into some of the other classrooms and kind of be that extra set of eyes looking for good things that are happening so that we can kind of use each other um, for that kind of stuff. I think the other thing that could be beneficial is when we're talking about student teaching or even uh, teacher leaders or, the, or mentor, resident edu educator teachers, those kinds of things where we have new teachers um, in our school. So this is a, a good opportunity for us to be able to talk with them too and sort of think about what's working and, and what can they do to make it working if it's not doing what they want it to do without any sort of judgment at all. Yeah, 
I love that. And I, what I, I love instructional coaching. It's not about somebody else coming in and giving answers. Right. It's asking those right questions to, to find the answers within yes. yourself. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Emily. I You're appreciate welcome. your time today. You're welcome. I am with Dave Williams, second grade teacher at Elda Elementary School. Good morning, Dave. How are you doing? I am doing fine, Becky. How are you? I'm just <laughs> fine. It is, it is a cool October Friday morning, so it's beautiful. I have some questions for you this morning. I understand that you have started your own YouTube channel. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so the YouTube channel came from the idea of last year when our district did the growth mindset. Um, and the challenge actually came from uh, Sarah Kiefer about doing something not above and beyond, but something different, so maybe something I wasn't comfortable with. And so I was like, well, uh, the strategies in the math program in the Common Core, at, at least at second grade level, are difficult, and they're hard to understand. They're, some of them are abstract, and so I thought it would be a good idea for me to not only teach the kids, but also help parents at home if they get stuck, and the kids could watch it as well. Um, so as I thought about that, I was wondering how in the world I would create that. And so with the help of Sarah, she gave me some good ideas. And over the summer, I thought about it. I kind of mapped out the different type of small videos I was going to create, which math lessons were important to do. And so as this school year began, I had a, mapped out a little plan, and when those came up, I put the videos online. Huh? Short and sweet. <laughs> Just my hands, though. That's Just my great. hands. <laughs> so can you describe a little bit um, about what, if I go to your YouTube channel, what might I see there? Well, my YouTube channel is very simple. You will not see my face, which is a good thing. <laughs> um, it, it's all my hands. I've got uh, you know, a piece of paper, and I, I'm just talking through different math problems. Uh, I'm a step-oriented person. You step one, step two, step three. I think it's good for the kids to understand steps, um, just not random ways of doing things. Um, and that helps, again, just kind of organize the ideas that are going on there. So, you know, there are two and a half, three three-and-a-half-minute videos. Um, usually do two or three different examples, and I just lead them through and try to use the terminology, the vocabulary that the kids have in the classroom so that when they go home, parents understand what vocabulary they should be using. Um, and hopefully the kids can also be the teachers as well because a lot of parents sometimes get stuck. They haven't seen this in many, 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 many years. And uh, so it's, it's a connection between me, the child, and home but also trying to connect uh, the different math strategies that are important. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about it a lot in the classroom about having a bag of tricks, and these strategies are, are, are the tricks to help kids kind of go through the math program. And uh, as they grow older and go third and fourth grade, hopefully they will continue to use these because I know they will still see those. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's good to have those in your back pocket to use as checks and balances during math. That's awesome. That's great. Um, so what do you hope will, will happen? And you've kind of spoken to this a little bit, but um, maybe from a parent's perspective. So as a result of the, your YouTube channel, what do you hope will happen with parents? I hope just with parents that first they just go look at it. You know, just, just to be aware that the teacher is trying to do something other than just teach in the classroom. Like trying to teach at home, even though it's a short video. Um, it gives a springboard to parents of what we're doing in the classroom because I know sometimes when we go home, 
I do math in the morning. You know, by the time 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock rolls around, some of the kids may not have remembered what they're doing. So, and the parents aren't here. And so it allows them to go at least look at examples um, to help their kids out at home. So, again, it, for me, I think it's just a learning tool for the parents. Um, I know there's probably lots of videos out there that are very similar to this. Um, but I just, I just think it's just a, a nice springboard. That way parents understand that it's not just teaching in the classroom. There is a chance for you can review it at home. Um, not that I had any com I've had any comments on the videos or anything like that. And that's okay because um, I'm still going to make them and do them because I think they're very important. Uh, but I've had a lot of teachers say, hey, are you, you know, can you share that with me? And so that, that's kind of another goal, too, is almost having like a video library of anybody can share it out. That's great. All right. Well, what's next for Dave Williams' <laughs> YouTube channel? Uh, I don't know. Maybe get some monster hands, you know. Some, <laughs> the some Hulk hands. Yeah, the Hulk <laughs> hands, you know, spice it up a little bit on there because uh, my face is not going on there at all. It's just going to be my hands, you know. Who knows? You know, hopefully, I know one of the things that I envisioned when I did this was not only me doing it, but maybe having some students oh, on there, great. just, again, yes, hands right. and, and showing them or sh having them show yeah. how their mind thinks. Mm -hmm. um, as we as we do more of these strategies, I think that is something that I, I can get on mm -hmm. there um, after they've had enough practice with it. And that way, they can talk through it. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest, one of the biggest things for me is the talking aspect of it. Um, I use. I always tell my kids I have a, a triangle idea. If you can think it, if you can speak it, you can write about it. Awesome. And those are three things that I've been really emphasizing to my parents and to the kids is the triangle idea. Hmm. It's, not, it's not trademarked, so right. no one steal it, please. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the math part, the way our series is, there's a lot of explaining. Mm -hmm. you know, it's just not doing anymore. Right. And I like the strategies. Um, a lot of kids gravitate towards certain ones, but the, the neat thing about that is the kids will say, I can use this strategy, even though we're not talking about it, to solve this problem. So we've probably done three or four different strategies, and the more they talk about those, the more they become familiar, and uh, they start to understand math the way it should be instead of just, it's just not numbers. Mm -hmm. so. That's incredible. You are building mathematicians through mathematical mindsets. All the, the math people in the world, or you can hear the collective, <laughs> yay, uh, great job. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time today, Dave. I appreciate not it. No problem, anytime. All right, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, Sarah Kiefer, you were name-dropped in Dave Williams's interview. What do you think about that? Uh, wow. Wow. I mean, I was so excited when Dave first approached this idea in the innovator's mindset, and he seemed very timid about it, but, um, you know, talking with him and helping him out a little bit here and there, I mean, he really did the bulk of the work, but coming up with that idea, I was, I was blown away. I've got a first grader and a third grader myself, and I can tell you, doing math with them at night sometimes is a struggle, like he said, because of the vocab. Um, so I am, I am beyond excited that he actually made this come to fruition and it's there and you can go and see it. And Dave, I was your first subscriber. I'm so excited. <laughs> you know, Dave and I were talking uh, before the interview began and he said um, that I, I talked to Sarah about this and I knew that if I didn't give this a go that she, she was not going to let me get away with not trying it. That's right. That's right. Because uh, when you throw an idea out to me and you say, hey, this is what I'm kind of thinking, 
Um, I kind of like jot that down in, in my memory and then like, how can I help? How can I make this happen? Like you, you've got the idea, you've got the spark. So let's make this happen. And I, I see that as a big part of my role here in the elementary buildings. And people say that to me all the time, you know, like Sarah, I'm kind of tossing this around and we go back and forth and that it's that community. It's that, mm -hmm. that sharing of ideas. And, and I tell you, like my brain has grown so much over the last several years working down here at the elementaries. Um, I love supporting them. I love that back and forth and that, that, I mean, we're truly building a community of learners here. Yeah, we sure are. It, again, when Dave and I were talking, he said something that stuck with me. Um, he said, you know, I've always considered myself as a student centered teacher. And he said, I, I am, but, um, after reading innovators mindsets and just having conversations in the building that he's reflecting on, if I'm saying I'm a student centered teacher, then what am I doing that really supports that? And just being very metacognitive and, and very deliberate and saying, I know I'm a center student centered teacher because I'm doing these things. And um, that whole idea of reflection and learning just it was a great interview. It was great. And Dave, just remember us when you're a famous YouTuber and you're making millions, okay? We were, we were your first subscribers. Our very own Dave Williams. It always seems impossible until it is done. Nelson Mandela. I am with Lisa Jeffrey and Jason Rettinger at Ross Middle School. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it today. So I have a question for you, Lisa. So when I walk into Ross Middle School, I notice that it has undergone quite a transformation this year. Uh, could you describe and talk to me a little bit about what I see as I walk into Ross Middle School? And then maybe some of the, the conversations or, or reactions that, that you've heard from the students as a result of that transformation? Sure. We have tried hard over the last couple of years and this past summer in particular to really make the environment at Ross Middle School positive um, for, first and foremost but then also we want to spread this idea of being kind to each other because that's what transforms a school when people are a team they work together and they treat each other with respect and, and kindness so when you walk in the door the first thing you would have seen in the front hallway is in big maroon letters that says you belong here you could walk into the back hallway and you'd see this same message in big marine letters that says, you belong here. So that was our first thing that we wanted kids to feel like they're a part of Ross Middle School, especially our new fifth graders coming in that are nervous anyway. We want them to feel like they truly belong in the school. You'd also continue to see um, other quotes, whether you go into a bathroom or you go into um, the cafeteria or you go into one of the other hallways. Um, you just see inspirational quotes and things that would just build you up and make you feel like, you know, you should be kind to each other. But you also um, can do great things. Um, Michelle Rice, the other counselor, and I over the summer um, put a note in every student locker. So when they opened their um, lockers up, and we were fortunate it was with parents this year as they came to open house. So the parents even saw a message that said, your school counselors think that you were created for greatness. So it's in neon paper that hangs right inside the locker door, and it's really cool. This is the second year that we've done that. And I still, as I go out to put birthday cards in lockers now, I open it up, and eighth grade boys still have these signs. You were created for greatness hanging in the locker. So just anything we can do like that to, to inspire the kids and for, to empower the kids to know that they can do great things and, and that we are here 
as a staff and to support them and, and whatever and just create as positive as positive an environment as possible. So, um, and kids are talking about it. Like I, to me, it's kind of an evaluation piece for me to open those lockers and still see those because that means they valued them. Um, I've had lots of comments from teachers where they'll overhear kids talking or kids will comment about what they're seeing in the hallway and how it's just really cool and they like it. And so we're just trying to expand a little bit um, throughout the year mm -hmm. to make it even more positive. Thank you, Lisa. It's incredible. Jason, uh, so Rams, capital R, capital A, capital M, capital S. What's Rams? So Rams kind of started when I was coaching. Well, this is something we used um, for our character traits and also our performance traits that we wanted to have uh, when I was coaching baseball and some of the other sports here. So as I moved into this role, we already do so many things here at the middle school with our PBIS and our SEL um, that I wanted to bring Rams to the middle school. So we worked this summer with the uh, RMS admin and all of the office staff on what four words that we feel like were really important here at Ross Middle School. Um, so we came up with respectful, accountable, motivated, and service. We want our kids to be respectful, which at the end of the day just means be nice. So that's a word that I talk to kids all the time about, accountable. We want our kids to be accountable for what's going on in their lives. Take responsibility uh, for your actions. Motivated. We need motivated young learners. We need motivated athletes. We need motivated people um, here at the middle school. And then service is huge, um, doing things in your community, doing things for other people. These are the four words that when I talk to our, our young students and they come into my office, they're not in trouble, but these are the four things they hear all the time from me. Um, we put in a 30 by 11 foot wall that was wrapped that has these words and 70 character words that we worked really hard on of words that we want our kids, um, we want this to be part of who they are. And um, we had donations from all kinds of groups. Um, we ran a dance to make up the extra money. We used the community vendor to put the wall up. It's been exciting. We're getting ready to do one in the wrestling room and also the multipurpose room that would be more um, athletic based, but it would still be character traits and performance words that we would want them to have. So this is kind of the, we want to decorate the school. Now it's already been done, Lisa and Michelle and the teachers staying after school and painting all the walls. It looks unbelievable. I just hired a guy to like wrap the wall. I don't have the art skills that they do. <laughs> but I think when you walk down, I think the environment, the visual environment of the school is a really big deal. I feel like it's totally changed in the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, we have administration that completely supports us doing this. So I'm kind of just jumping in as it's already rolling and trying to just kind of support it that way. And um, I hear you're starting a Junior Rams program? So we're going to start our Junior Rams, which Lisa and Michelle are helping me with. And our Junior Rams is a group that is going to address a culture or climate issue here at Ross. And we have filled that group with not just our high flyers, because they seem to be in every group and every organization that we have. See, there's some kids that maybe just need an opportunity to be in a group and in a, a, a leadership role. And if we can kind of give them... Um, a situation where they can kind of blossom. So met with them today. That actually went out today, and then we will have our first formal meeting next week, and that group will kind of give us some ideas because I think that sometimes we don't realize some of the issues that maybe are a day-to-day -day issue for our students. We kind of see things from, from our site. I think they can give us some things that need to be addressed from the student's um, view, and we'll take that, and then we'll let them kind of lead it. We want this to be student-driven, and then we just support it. So it'll be interesting and kind of exciting to see what comes out of that. And, and this question, you, you've kind of spoken to a little bit, Jason, but um, 
so the middle school has very intentionally ad addressed the social and emotional well-being of, of students. So with the, the, the murals, the notes in the locker, with the, the RAMS program. Um, why do you think that those pieces and components are so important for students and their social and emotional well-being? Well, first, I, I think it's the most important thing that we can do for our students is provide positive behavior support and social-emotional learning. Um, I think we've done this. We've probably just not called it PBIS or called it SEL, or these are kind of new words that have shown up the last couple of years. So I, I believe that we're doing it. We need to be a little bit more intentional and in what that's going to look like, maybe more formalized next year. This year, we have a group of teachers representing each uh, team, grade level, um, special areas, special education, that we met the other day and talked about what does this look like in your classroom, and we're going to be very open to allowing them to whatever they would like to do this year, and then we formalize it next year. It's trial and error. Like, we don't know what's going to be the best. We probably need some professional development for our teachers so that they can do a better job of how they would like to implement it. Um, this would lead up to December the 20th where we have our Rams rally, which would be for our athletics, it would be for academics, it would be for recognizing just students in general that have done a really good job. Hopefully we have a speaker for that. The speaker would be someone that would speak to one of the issues that our, that our kids and our teachers have chosen as one of the issues that we want to address. When we did the strategic uh, focus survey, SEL and PBIS showed up nonstop as the most important thing that we can address here at the middle school. And again, it's something we've already been doing. I think now we're just trying to do more. We need to get it out to our community. We need to let our parents know that we, we are doing these things, and these things are very important to us, as is our curriculum and things that we need to get done, and that's very important. But how can we fit this in? What does it look like um, on a daily basis inside of our classrooms? I've got one final question for you. What's next for social-emotional learning at Ross Middle School? We don't know. That's what's exciting about it. Um, we need to see where this goes this year. I would like it to be a big deal. I would like it. We, we feel like we have some dates in our schedule. Uh, opening day next year, the day before Thanksgiving break, day before winter break, day before spring break, where maybe we're looking for things so we can kind of implement our PBLs, our PBIS, our SELs, and make this something that's very formal that we are actively involving our students and our teachers in. You know, a lot of I get, well, doesn't positive behavior support mean that you are rewarding kids for doing what they're supposed to do? And I think that's a poor way to look at it. For me, if you gave me a sucker every time I, I made a free throw, at the end of the day, you gave me a bunch of suckers, but I learned the skill of shooting free throws. Now, when you stop giving me suckers, I've learned the skill. I'm still going to shoot those free throws. So I'm hoping... That's what we can get to. And if we got to give them some positive behavior support on the way to that, that's okay with me. Like, we need to reward our kids for doing the right things. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think what we will see, hopefully, is that as we reward them, we will have to reward them less. It'll be become a, these are skills, just like anything else. We need to teach the skills. And once you have the skills, we may have not have to do so much rewarding, and then we'll move to something else that needs to be addressed. So I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see kind of where it goes, but it's pretty exciting too. So, Lisa, I know social emotional well-being is very important to you. Um, for you, what's next? It is, um, and I think I totally agree with what Jason said. I think you know rewarding it um, is definitely important because that's how you change behavior. <clears throat> Whether you're talking about you know academics or 
um, the social-emotional piece. I think, too, we're going to continue to recognize because we have a ton of great kids here at the middle school. A lot of it doesn't even involve changing behaviors or changing things. It's just recognizing it's right in front of you. And here, here is a kid that does great things all the time. This is a great example. We give um, Regal Ram Awards every month. We're going to rec be recognizing those kids at our November assembly. Um, but those are kids that we tell them, teachers nominate, we pull them out of class, we have a reception, we read their name, we post their names in the front cabinet, and we say, these are what we want a Ross Middle School kid to look like. So we will continue to do those things. We're just saying, these kids are here. This is what we want you all to look like. And, and we just kind of recognize those kids. So um, I think we want to continue to, to pull out some other ways to recognize the good things and the good people that are already here and working. Um, I'm excited we received a grant, um, a suicide prevention grant. We're going to have some money to kind of expand our resources, so I'm hoping to use a portion of that um, to train some of our 8th graders to go into 5th grade classrooms and do social-emotional learning lessons. Um, I'm hoping um, to still get in there a few times this year, but that'll be a resource we'll be able to use in the future. So, so we're helping to build the community of pulling the 8th graders and the 5th graders together. Um, the 5th graders will get to see role models of what excellent decision-making and behavior and respect and how all those things look in a fellow Ross Middle School student, but they're also going to learn some new skills through the lessons that they'll be teaching in those classes. So those are some exciting things. So I'm, and I'm with Jason. We don't even know what else is going to be out there, but um, it's going to be exciting. It is exciting. It definitely is. The, the possibilities are, are, are boundless and positive and um, always in the best interest of our students and staff. Lisa, Jason, thank you so much for sharing your passion for social and emotional learning and, and well-being. Um, I'm excited to see what you do next. There is no one grand action that will magically achieve the strategic plan. The plan, the mission and vision statements of the Ross Local Schools are embodied by the sum of its individual parts. And those individual parts are you. We are each on a hero's journey. And although our stories frequently intersect, each hero must take his or her own first and second and hundredth steps. And so, here is my challenge to you. What's your what's next? Thank you for listening to this podcast. I'd love to hear from you, either through the Anchor app, by tweeting at me, or sending me an email. Until next time, we are all Ross Rams, and we are all better together than on our own.